Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. If you've been enjoying episodes of the Mental Models podcast, you'd likely enjoy reading Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision-Making. George and I co-authored this book, Merging Our Knowledge, to provide you with an authoritative guide where our money-related biases come from and also what we can do about them. Material from Understanding Behavioral Bias is now included within the legendary Harvard Case Studies content library. Harvard Case Studies is widely used across the worlds of finance and business, and it's recognized as being one of the top repositories of leading-edge financial content. The book is available in both print and Kindle versions on Amazon. So buy it, read it, and improve your process. Welcome back. From time to time, we examine macro factors in the economy and uh, more timely factors. Just for reference, this episode is being uh, recorded in September of 2020. So it's likely to be very relevant for um, September and October of 2020. Maybe it will start to be more of a lessons from the past episode as time goes on, because we're going to talk today about a lot of the localized factors that are changing the economic landscape and uncertainty factors on the horizon. So uh, the, today's really going to be about moving parts. It's like, how, how do we cope with the structural changes that are going to affect our lives and making sense of them in the moment? So if we rewind back to uh, March of this year, when we saw the bottom of the market, and I believe we had some podcasts associated with just the magnitude of the two different forces that were colliding with each other, one being government policy and the other the effect of the COVID virus. It seems as things have played out, the markets have reached uh, new highs for the year, with the exception of the Russell. Uh, but we certainly have seen pretty dramatic moves in the NASDAQ and uh, up to at the height, I think we saw a new high in the S&P at about 9% uh, from the beginning of the year, up 9%. And since then, in September, we've seen a retracement. Uh, the concerns that we had coming out of March were the progression of the virus and how big it might become and how you know perhaps people were not fully appreciating the economic magnitude associated with it. But all of the issues that were present uh, in that wall of worry that the market managed to climb up of in a really gr- aggressive way. We had the shortest bear market in history with the recovery that we saw in the stock market. It was really fueled by massive amounts of government intervention, both on the fiscal and the monetary side. But now we've gotten here into September after you know just ripping through the summer with significant stock market gains we have had a decent retracement where the stock market now uh, for the month, the S&P is down about 5%. And uh, the question that's arisen is, you know, we haven't had a stimulus. There hasn't been a meeting of the minds between the Republicans and the Democrats. And it looks very unlikely. Maybe there's a 20% chance that we actually see something come to fruition prior to the election. Yeah, and it seemed like there was a lot of pressure to get stimulus bills passed early on in the earlier in the year. Once you let something like that lapse, it, it feels like inertia takes hold where they, if they could, didn't get it done then, it's a bit like Brexit, right? It, it just kind of can drag on and it can start to feel like maybe you don't have to do that. 
and that's a different feeling than we had earlier in the year. Indeed, the economic data has been pretty good. It has been pretty strong, uh, even without uh, the stimulus. I, I suspect, though, that there's a bit of a lag. And what we're seeing as far as the economic data is concerned uh, is largely a carryover of just the tremendous uh, amount of fiscal and monetary help that the market had. Uh, you know, uh, many people have seen that, that, and I think we've talked about in prior episodes, about the fact that unemployment benefits uh, have been so robust that most people that were receiving them were receiving more money from unemployment benefits than they were in their jobs. And when you think about the dynamics associated with those unemployment benefits, you know, typically when you receive wages, those wages are an expense for your employer. And so they may be your revenue, but they are their cost. And in this case, employees or former employees, recipients of these unemployment benefits, they're just getting checks from the government and there's no cost really associated with the business. You know, it's literally money that's been printed uh, to send to individuals and that money is then getting flushed back into the economy. Uh, so the savings rate went up significantly. There's just the consumer has been very robust in certain areas. It's kind of like a balloon that's still being filled, but is being squeezed at one end, you know, think of restaurants, uh, you know, travel, leisure, and then is being expanded and other ends, things of like purchasing furniture, home goods, automobiles, things of that nature, these discretionary items where people have been flush. But now those benefits are waning uh, and if not, you know, completely been cut off. And uh, you have more people coming to work, but at the same point in time, uh, we're you know we don't have that support from the fiscal side, uh, but we're still getting support from the monetary side. And then you know so if you think about that as just kind of the fundamental backdrop uh, for uh, what's going on in the real economy and the stock market. Though the Fed is still there active buying bonds, which ultimately trickles through and ends up in equities, uh, equities are responding to these higher prices. Issuers are issuing stock. There's a lot of secondaries that are going on and a massive return to the IPO market with these issues like Snowflake, for instance, or Big Commerce, uh, where these tech names are trading at massive multiples. 50, 100 times sales. Uh, so that money that is, uh, ha- you know, is chasing those stocks has to come from somewhere. So you're seeing a lot of pressure in the NASDAQ right now uh, as these new issuances sop up. It's really incredible when you think about the mental model framework of thinking of how the economy normally works. And uh, I'm, I'm often reminded in these in these sort of strange times of of running experiments you know being in a lab and trying to run an experiment and what you often want to do with a good experiment is capture a lot of the complexity of the real world so that whatever you're studying the the effect is likely to generalize to something that that could really happen you do, you don't want to have it be such a controlled environment that it's just not going to apply in real life um, but the key to complicated experiments that simulate daily life complexity is to vary like one thing at a time. 
so that you can sort of change, <laughs> make one change and kind of see what the, uh, we have the dependent measure is always, you know, what has been influenced by that, that variable that you've moved around. And the, the challenge that you've just put out there is there are so many variables moving around. It's like a terrible experiment. It's like the most complicated <laughs> thing possible. Well, that's why nobody can make money with macro. You know, right. It's just kind of one of these um, instances where fundamental assumptions about the way the economy would normally work are being manipulated you know, or experimented with or tinkered with uh, at the same time. And so uh, the stock markets don't necessarily seem very coupled to the economy. Both are in sort of these, uh, you know, progressive experiments that are are certainly related, but they're not related in maybe the ways we would normally think of. So it, it really is a, a landscape of moving parts at the moment. So I, th- I think all we can do is within this episode, I think we can maybe mention what are some of the major change points that that are occurring right now, it it probably will provide a lot of new learning for the future. I think already we've seen things that have uh, been unprecedented and it, they didn't work out the way you would have predicted and that, that it's hard to make sense of because other things were moving around at the same time. So up to this point, the issues associated with COVID and the emergence of COVID as the economy, as the economy reopened, we did see a bulge that occurred in the southern states uh, and death rates picked up significantly along with case rates and things of that nature uh, with this increase that occurred in the summer. Markets just blew right past that. They, it was not something that uh, was significant enough to derail uh, this pretty massive rally that we've seen. We did see a shift back and forth. Intermittently, you'd have days where reopening plays uh, like airlines and cruises and hotels, uh, that those would outperform. And then, you know, the ball would be handed off to these technology winners who have really outperformed significantly relative to the rest of the market really throughout the entire summer. And now, you know, the different factors that we have, we have massive retail participation in the market. But at the same point in time, people are now starting to go back to work. You see, you know, better improvement in the job numbers, though it is starting to decelerate. You've also seen uh, sports come back. So perhaps people that were betting on sports before uh, that were not able to do so were participating in the stock market more. Maybe that's starting to shift a little bit back to, uh, you know, as we see the NFL play, uh, we saw the NBA the NHL also. And and these are like little experiments that you can watch. So you saw the uh, Major League Baseball open uh, without fans. And uh, you saw right away some problems like the, I think it was uh, over 12 cases initially on one of the teams that then turned into you know, even more cases. Yes. And, and the, the doing it in a bubble where everyone isolates and then plays in one location has been tried. Uh, fans have not been brought back yet. <laughs> but they, I think the NFL is planning to bring back some level of fans. So when you mentioned the reopening in southern states uh, playing out somewhat problematically in June, we were sort of boots on the ground there because we're both in Texas. And uh, pretty quickly, the, the case levels were rising alarmingly when, when there was a reopening plan without masks and without very solid 
social distancing guidelines at that time. Uh, happily, it was able to be reined back in, and I think it was through uh, behavior. It was realized, let's get more serious about locking down behavior, and then we can reopen industries. There are certain uh, test beds for how things might work. I think by the southern states reopening quickly, that was like an experiment. What if we didn't really change our ways and we just reopened when we saw what happened? And you could change course by making adjustments. And so that's sort of part of 2020 is uh, just these trying something, seeing how it goes, adjusting, trying again. It's very like an experiment playing out. So right now, you know, where's the trajectory? Where are we moving? We've seen some correction in the stock market in September. Uh, as the stimulus program becomes more uncertain, we near the election. There's questions associated with whether we'll actually have a resolution in the election. Is the stock market appropriately priced for a potential Biden sweep where Biden ends up taking the Senate as well? And uh, then we see changes to tax policy uh, where corporate income taxes, you know, Biden's talking about raising corporate income taxes which have largely been the, the biggest driver to improve profitability in the stock market during the Trump era. Uh, and then, of course, there's also some talk about changes to the uh, perspective of the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve's mandate. Uh, you know, there's talk about whether that should be changed. And we've opened the floodgates to some degree uh, with the spending that we're doing with modern monetary theory, uh, where we've paid for the the bailout of the American consumer through printed money. And, you know, what now that we have that precedent behind right. us. Right. Oh, yeah. No, it, you can't put that genie back in the bottle. Yeah. Maybe maybe there will be a willingness in a Democratic Congress to pay for an entire Green New Deal uh, with printed money. So we have a lot of different things that are at play uh, and, you know, there's incremental supply coming on through IPOs and secondaries. Uh, we have the possibility of a second wave uh, that may occur this winter, you know, during typical flu season in November and December. Uh, so, you know, it's there. there's a lot of different variables that are at play and, you know, at SaberPoint, we have thrown up our hands and said basically that uh, trying to make incremental decisions based off of these backdrops is just foolhardy. It's probably too many variables moving to really know with certainty how, how to act. We did an episode on analogies a couple months ago. I, I think I'm always searching for analogies. And you bring up the election with uh, the 2016 election was such a... Uh, it's like a schema breaking moment with schemas being kind of like your standard assumptions about how an election's going to work. You know, there, there was like one poll out of 10 that had predicted a Trump victory. And, you know, it, he's such an unconventional person. And the presidency, you know, Biden is leading significantly in almost every poll at this point. But um, kind of in the back of my mind, I can't ignore what if this is an analogy to 2016 and that there's going to be a, a very different vote in reality. And so I, I, I feel like we have to entertain multiple possible futures, but but acting with certainty on anything right now is so difficult. Yeah, there's some big forces at work uh, in the backdrop that 
I think the only thing you can do is try to isolate uh, individual opportunities that you can see where either A, uh, regardless of what happens with the uh, political outcome with the virus, that you can see something that is going to be where those factors should be swamped by an individual idiosyncratic issue that you can get your hands around. And that's kind of the approach that we have taken in our investments this year. And, you know, I think to some degree where it has hurt has been uh, on the, you know, on the short side. For us, our shorts have largely been attacks throughout this entire year. There have been some narratives and the narrative really seems to have dominated uh, as the retail investor has become much more involved. Valuation has almost been a non-factor for the performance of stocks. Uh, In fact, it it has probably been uh, quite negative to focus on valuation. When we look at shorts that have worked, we have seen that uh, those shorts that are focused on things like elder care, uh, shorts that we have had on for-profit education. Uh, those have actually worked because there is this lead that Biden has in the polls and nobody really wants to own a for-profit educator with the high probability of a uh, Biden success. And you know we, we will not likely maintain those shorts through the election for this very reason that you're talking about, uh, the outside chance that you do have a Trump victory. All of those for-profit stocks will probably rally significantly as they did in 2016. I'm often thinking in probabilities these days. It's, it's so hard to glean what the future is going to hold with all these uh, moving elements that are, are major. And uh, I think that's been one of my changes to 2020. It's certainly a good practice. We've talked about it a number of times. We've written about it in uh, Understanding Behavioral Bias, the the value of thinking in numbers and trying to, the act of even just putting numbers to things gives you some framework um, where you're not thinking in binaries because, uh, you know, there's, even if, however the election were to work out, it's not as if that's deterministic because there are so many unusual uh public events right now. And I, I think you've hit upon one of the the strange silver linings of 2020 has been unique opportunities have presented themselves in our lives, you know, in our personal lives and how we're spending our time and how we're doing our work. And investment opportunities will certainly come from this as well. I, I think that's great advice to focus on things that do not entirely depend on um, a Trump victory or a Biden victory, because again, you, you must think in probabilities here. Yeah. And it's not like you want to avoid everything that could be benefit or be have a detractor as to whether we find a virus we, or, or a vaccine. We don't find a vaccine. That's another variable that's oh, the up vaccine. there. Absolutely. And you know how it's distributed, whether Trump wins, Trump loses, You know whether you end up with a, a stimulus or not. All of these various things, you can you can somewhat negate them by finding idiosyncratic opportunities uh, on both sides, right? So you may have uh, things on the short side that are, uh, and, and, you know, shorting and going long is ob- yeah, obviously it's not recommended for everybody to, uh, to, to play those games depending on your experience. But we found that you may have a reopening play, like for instance, uh, 
well, I don't, I don't want to go too much into an individual name, but like Shake Shack, for instance, uh, we see issues associated with that business on the short side uh, that occurred before COVID. And then, you know, maybe on the other side, you balance that with something like a, an Eventbrite or on the other hand, you have an, a live nation where there you have a very stable, uh, powerful business that eventually people will be able to go back to concerts. And maybe that's not uh, this year or until late next year, but we will eventually learn to live with the virus. And that's still a fantastic franchise. If you think about artists, they make most of their money through concerts, and that's not going to change going forward. It's very unlikely. So you can see a balanced bet where you may be long one reopening play uh, and short another reopening play because of individual variables associated with those businesses that are likely to come to fruition regardless of the outcome. Yeah, and vaccines are one of the enormous uh, other components of all of this. Just for reference for the future, um, AstraZeneca and Moderna are major vaccine players that, that look, people are optimistic about the vaccines. I have deliberately tried to think of the vaccines as throwing multiple darts at a board. It's not one. There's not a vaccine, right? Viruses can kind of uh, morph and evolve and move around, unfortunately. And uh, the fact is there's high stakes uh, for, a, for a victory on the virus front from many angles, and, and the, the different companies have different approaches. So I like to think of uh, the vaccines, plural, hitting us in 2021. And hopefully, uh, of those arrows in the quiver, some find the mark. And it may be multiple vaccines. Uh, and that would be a real game changer. So uh, they're game changers. Uh, so I, I don't think of there being a one winner in the vaccine market. There'll likely be multiple players in it, uh, which I think is good. It's good for competition and it's good for uh, our versatility in fighting this into the future. It's It's been pointed out that um, it, it's unlikely that one vaccine will cure this forever and that will be just done and that will happen quickly, <laughs> right? There's, there's a, it's, there's a gradation of probabilities of how this plays out. And there may, there may not be a vaccine. You know, it's, it's, it's possible HIV was, you know, there's never been a vaccine for HIV. It does seem like there's been some promise and early results, uh, for the ones that are currently in the works. Yeah, there may be lifestyle changes that, that continue on, right, but, even if there is a vaccine in play. But ultimately, I don't think it'll matter. I think eventually people will get comfortable with the risk associated with COVID and will life will go on. Herd immunity is still out there as one of the outcomes. We don't yet know how the immunity, you know, how our immune systems, how long antibodies may stay or the, the amount of antibodies we all produce. It's, uh, again, moving pieces probabilities we were not nothing's definitive yet right so anyway i guess the the, the message here is this is very messy right <laughs> we have a lot of different things going on we've had one or two fact or two factors really fiscal and monetary policy that have drowned out everything up to this point but we are worse we were also not at the nexus right we knew that the election was before us but now it's two months away uh we're also uh, we thought it was everybody pretty much assumed that a second stimulus would come through. 
It has not. And it will probably not come through until after the election. And now, uh, you know, Ruth Gator, uh, Bader Ginsburg, she passed away. Uh, we have yet another, you know, bit of political upheaval. You know, that's a, that's another gear in the box, so to speak, uh, that uh, could have some effect on how all of these different things mesh together. Indeed, another surprising variable that was modified just, uh, you know, on the doorstep of one of the strangest years we've ever had. Yeah. So, you know, the only thing I think we can do in these times is try to figure out what we can know uh, and variables that we can isolate, maybe try to offset the risk associated with some of these things by having bets on both sides uh, that kind of drowned each other out uh, based off of those variables and then focus on the the smaller variables that we can control. And like I, think, I mean, for us as a hedge fund, that's kind of what we try to do. Uh, but, uh, we'll see how it's all, it'll all unfold. I will say that like, if you had told me that we would have had this resurgence of the virus in the summer that we did, uh, and we would not have had a resolution on a stimulus by mid September, I would have told you that the markets would, uh, probably be looking at revisiting, you know, the lows. That's good anti-hindsight bias there, George. So I was just thinking about that. Uh, years from now, we're going to look back and have had some hindsight bias creep in on us because a lot of these things will have been kind of glossed over. Details will have been forgotten. And this will have all seemed more inevitable than it does now. Um, I think we just want to keep in mind there are multiple futures possible. and <laughs> We just have to keep learning from outcomes as they play out. Right. And you just can't have a lot of hubris. You can't sit there and think that you really know for sure how things are going to go. Uh, I know a lot of managers coming into September, uh, they'd taken their net exposures up significantly because stocks only go up. Uh, and, you know, it's funny, I had an idea dinner just right before we saw the most recent downtick in the market. And there were a lot of managers that were present at the dinner that had really, really had taken their and they just thrown their hands up that a short, short books didn't make any, any sense. And I'm saying this right now, after the market's down 5%, I would have said the same thing in June when we saw a similar swoon. This may all be irrelevant. I mean, we could we could pick this up again in a month and a half from now or so, and uh, we'll be talking about brand new highs and the market continuing to steam on and ignoring this wall of worry that we're all talking. It's hard to do a podcast these days. We run the risk of zigzagging every which way. And you listening to these episodes, you know, removed from this particular time period, you know, there's something called consistency bias that we tend to say the same things over and over. No real risk of that this year. The assumptions keep changing as the ground shifts beneath our feet. Yes, but we will continue to be vigilant about trying to talk about how difficult it is to be able to figure out how all these different moving parts may affect us and, uh, you know, trying to avoid making decisions uh, based off of the illusion that we can actually control the outcome. All right. So uh, we look forward to talking to you again when yet more pieces of the puzzle have been revealed. Talk to you again soon. Thanks. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models Podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a job. Please subscribe and like Mental Models Podcast. The five-starred book, Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making, is available through Amazon. This book will help you overcome the biases that are keeping you from investing success. 
The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please subscribe and thank you for listening.